and I think we are atheists. Most most people are, are, are atheists. They might express some belief in something they call God, but at base, they don't believe that they're taken care of. Mm-hmm. I don't mean this in a harsh way. I think it's true of me. I think it's true of you. I think it's true of, it's a condition of modernity that you are born and baptized into some practical atheism. Absolutely. Yeah. Welcome everybody to Good Money. This is this is the one that everybody, you know, they really already believe in this one. So you, you know, you don't even have to listen to this. You already want to be poor. Like poverty. you already believe in poverty. You know, this is, uh, this one's easy. You know, people are just uh, emptying all their accounts and um, looking for, for ways to just, you know, have nothing. I think you're being sarcastic. Because <laughs> a lot of our friends that we know really are. Yeah, that's actually really true. Um, there's about half of you out there that don't need to listen to this because you're already doing it right. <laughs> you're already you're already dating Lady Poverty. Yeah. <laughs> She's pretty. <laughs> Poverty is a crazy one, I think, because it's, it's, uh, I mean, we have to be like one of the few traditions in history that's really like championed, championed, champion. Mushrooming. Yeah, mushrooming. I just can't even say words. <laughs> we really like poverty as yeah. Catholics. You know, it's one of the evangelical councils that with um, chastity and obedience. Mm-hmm. Uh, Thomas Aquinas, he says that the um, religious state, I'm going to quote here from, from the Summa, the religious state was instituted chiefly that we might obtain perfection by means of certain exercises, whereby obstacles of perfect charity are removed, of which the first foundation is voluntary poverty, he mm. says. Um, Bonaventure, right? St. Bonaventure says, says the same thing. He says that um, of all the things that one could possess, money is the most alluring, the most easily attractive and distracting. Um, but why you find this kind of praise of poverty is kind yeah, of an interesting it's, thing. It seems, uh, I'm going to be the stupid person this episode. Dibs. Uh, I don't have to know anything. I don't have to know anything. Um, <laughs> that makes two of us. How, how, do, you, how do you make um, the love of poverty work with poverty considered as an objective evil? Right. I mean, because obviously... Yeah. When poverty is discussed, especially in the Bible, I'm thinking, mm-hmm. um, it is an evil. Right. It is a state to be avoided. It is a result of a curse, uh, even if you think about the Deuteronomical right. curses. It's one of the things that will happen if you don't yes. follow the Lord. And That's one right. of the things that will happen if you do follow the Lord is you will have no poor among you. And obviously, mm-hmm. if poverty is so good... Mm-hmm. In a similar way to how pumpkin pie is so good, I should wish that my friends become poor in the same way that I wish that they... Have pumpkin pie. Exactly. Yep. QED. <laughs> so there's a problem here. Do you know what I'm saying? So are you making a distinction? Is the tradition making a distinction? Yeah. You know, to be honest, I have... You know, we hear the distinction between poverty and destitution mm. that comes up. Um, that seems to be something that arises within kind of capitalist propaganda of sorts. But it, But it is, I think rightly adopted by Christians trying okay. to think through what these is, things What as well. is the distinction? Between poverty and destitution, and destitution, where you don't actually have the needs for, or have um, recourse to the things that you actually need in destitution. That's destitution. Yeah. And Versus with poverty, it's a lack of being able to, or is an inability to procure things beyond that. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. So, like, within that structure, you're poor if you're living a subsistent life. That is to say, 
you're just growing your own food and eating it. Yeah, and actually there's a particular term. I, I took a, one semester of Hebrew, so I really don't know these words. Okay. But, but I looked them up in... <laughs> but I'm trying them out. Um, but I... Yeah, anyways, in some commentaries, they make note of these things where you have different words for poor, for the describe the poor gotcha. um, within the Old Testament. And... Um, and so you do have the like the peasant farmer, okay. which apparently is dull. Is is the word there? Dull. He's, don't don't insult the guy. He's already poor. They called him dull. <laughs> um, oh. D A L. So it was transliterated. Oh, okay. And versus like the beggarly poor or the guy who like uh, is is lazy um, uh, versus the guy who is taken advantage of. Those are, I mean, there's some occasions within like the peasant farmer poor where he is taken advantage of, and that does come up in Isaiah and um, and Jeremiah and such. But it's really just speaking that a, a guy who is subsistent, that he's yeah. a small farmer guy, yeah. you know, versus um, everybody else is just they're in the state either because they've. Be, everyone else is in that state because of vice, whether that be their own or someone else's. I see. Yep. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. And yeah. that's like the Proverbs saying, you know, you know, haranguing the, uh, the lazy, uh, the lazy man, you yeah. know, so. So poverty that we love mm -hmm. is to only have what we need? Yeah, have recourse to the things that are needed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But you know, there's then there's a consideration, of course, of like, well, what what about the rich guys in the tradition, right? And and Thomas Dubé, I think his name, he wrote this book, "Happy Are You Poor," mm. which a lot of um, New Polity listeners have told us to read over the years. And I finally read him on this plane ride last week. Very obedient. And um, yeah, and it was it was a good book. Um, and he starts to field some of these questions about well, what. What about the rich saints? Because he goes through a long litany of not just uh, those who have taken on voluntary poverty as um, monks, sisters, friars, but have also taken on a, a pover an impoverished life within the state of the laity mm. as well, um, and which is which is a consideration we should make. But then he, he asks, "Well, what about the rich?" and uh, and he and he gives the example of Saint Thomas More. Um, who, though was rich, seldom enjoyed the pleasures of his richness, shared them widely in almsgiving, and seldom invited over uh, the wealthy to his house for dinners. Instead, yeah. he would invite those who were poorer than him or just the poor um, for these dinners. He seldom ever wore his golden chain. He never drank wine, drank little beer. That was pretty disappointing for me, um, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think those are those are some of the things that he was at least praising and seeing that just you know we when we turn to a saint in the tradition, I mean, think about the the saints that you have a devotion to, like how many of them were like known as just giving away everything. Yeah. There's a substantial percentage of, yeah. of these guys that we love, right? Um, and so he's Dubé's trying to Father Dubé's trying to. Like think through well, what is it in this in our tradition that we've actually um, that is actually like that's not just a, a strange phenomenon, but yeah. it's actually part of the gospel. Yeah, I mean, you think about it, Jesus says, "Woe to you who are rich," which is pretty all encompassing. If you're just getting woe 
as a category of person. <laughs> so we have to think one of two things. Either we think Jesus is wrong, and in fact, there's a way to just be rich in this category and still end up as a saint without any woe. Or Christianity undoes the category of rich. It no longer means what it meant. Mm-hmm. Because it seems to me the way you describe those saints, mm-hmm. what richness looks like is actually now richness from the perspective of the one who receives and not from the perspective of the one who has. Mm -hmm. What I mean is the rich man in Christianity becomes a conduit. So what is rich about him is the way like soil is rich, right? In that it can give. Mm -hmm. And so you don't mistake the having of wealth, which is one objective scenario, which brings woe, Mm -hmm. and then the giving of wealth, the ability to properly diffuse it throughout society, whether you have it from inheritance or an office or a business or whatever it is, it seems like you can never be rich and a saint um, if by rich you simply mean having that money. That just seems to be basic. Yeah. No, like, I at least can't think of I anyone. Think... What's that, sir? I can't think of anyone that's uh, yeah. achieved saintliness with a, just a large savings account or something like that. No, I don't. Yeah, I think that's right. In In... I've heard a number of people kind of in rebuttal to things that we've said or this, yeah. the traditions teaching on poverty say, well, it's, it's you know, like poor in spirit. It means that you're not really attached to the things. And I say, yes, absolutely, that's correct. And if you really aren't attached to these things, then you'll just give it away. Totally, yeah. Now, I mean, it's this funny thing when you try to spiritualize something to a Catholic, it's always odd. It's like, dude, who do you, ta- who do you think you're talking to? You're going <laughs> to you're you're talk to a Catholic and say, okay... Uh, you think that it means this material thing, but I say unto you, it's in fact this spiritual thing. It's like, bro, <laughs> we're not Protestants. Like, if you're telling me it's a spiritual thing, that means it must all the more be a material thing. Yeah. So I'm speaking vaguely. What I mean is, you know, to say poor in spirit means that the interior source of your action is poor. Yeah. So then your activities, which give, you know, um, which are that is manifest the interior orientation of your soul. Yeah. 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 Your soul at work. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Sure as heck should be poor too. That's right. To the point that if you told me you're poor in spirit and then your works were not poor, my presumption would be that you were lying (laughs) or some kind of crazy mime person doing, (laughs) doing some illusions. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's awesome no it's a really it's a really good point because it seems to me like the discourse on poverty is always conditioned by people's desperate desire not to be poor and so whenever we talk about it we have we're ashamed of it we're ashamed of our lady poverty and we and we want to call her like um you know kind of keep her far away so no one really sees how she looks like yes yes poor in spirit poor of heart i'm detached from all these things that i nevertheless have i could give them up any day mm-hmm. you know the day never comes but you know i could have done it that sort of thing um and it's very sad because i think we are scared we're really quite scared of poverty yeah because poverty is the state in which we know that we rely on god and i think we are atheists most most people are are, are atheists they might express some belief in something they call God, but at base, they don't believe that they're taken care of. Mm -hmm. I don't mean this in a harsh way. I think it's true of me. I think it's true of you. I think it's true of, it's a condition of modernity that you are born 
and baptized into some practical atheism. Absolutely. Yep. And but but part of what that means is we really the things that become taboo in our culture are all those things in which the truth of God and, and the definite his his presence in our lives, those become the scary places. Yeah. Right? Total trust in the other. Total mm-hmm. reliance on nature, mm-hmm. you know, a, a, a life without technology, a life apart from a car, a life, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like these things that become taboo have this relation to our spiritual side we're, we're, because they're those places and those ways of living where we have to admit that if God doesn't provide, we're toast. Yeah. And and I think I think that's why poverty was this basic evangelical counsel, right? Yes. Put you in the requisite position to know that God was God and God was real. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And it, it, I mean, it, just to almost kind of back up and then go go forward. I'm sorry, to, to I was look going at... too too fast. <laughs> when I'm nervous about knowing an idea, I try to plow into it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Like Saint Joseph is given a lot of yeah. amazing titles, like in really powerful ones, like Defender of Virgins, Terror of Demons. And amidst his litany, you have a title of lover of poverty, yeah. you know? I mean, that is crazy to, to proclaim somebody a, a lover of poverty and, and to have that be the reason why we praise him, yeah. you know, or one of the reasons why we praise him. Yeah. Um, and when you just compare yourself to litanies, you know, in general, it's always pretty discouraging, <laughs> but that one is just kind of like embarrassing. Yeah. You know, like how far away, you yeah, know, yeah, that yeah. I am from that, for okay. instance, you know, like loving to be poor. You know, that's what it is. I mean, it's not just he's a lover of the poor. It's like he's a lover of, of being poor. But with you know? but with this definition you're giving, mm-hmm. I mean, I just feel like people have the experience of loving poverty, but they maybe don't know how to name it because for us, everything is about money. So the the notion of poverty becomes itself linked to the notion of being anxious about your bank account, being anxious about not yeah. being able to buy commodities to survive within your culture. Um, and that is an evil that needs to be rectified. But it seems to me like the kind of poverty that you're talking about is that reliance on God. Yeah, it's actually specifically that. Yeah. So um, we, in St. Francis's rule, there's a command to his followers never to even touch money. Okay, they weren't allowed to, like, have it on them, right? Um, that is, apart from being, like, super intense, yeah. very radical, it was kind of, like, up for debate. And I'm not just talking about the Fraticelli and the whole spiritual Franciscan debacle that was kind of a big deal in the 13th, 14th century. Um, but the more, like, there was a consideration of why was that command given. And some people thought it was because... They just want to get outside of the world of calculating, mm. of quantifying things, something that you and I have chatted a lot about, of like kind of the, trying to commensurate incommensurable goods, and in that process, forgetting about the intrinsic nature of reality as being gift, mm-hmm. right? So if like if you're just buying and selling everything, you st- that starts to shroud the the underlying gift economy of this world something that was given of when we give, when I give something to you, it is a gift. When you give it back to me, it's, it's a gift still. Yeah. And it's not just some sort of an exchange. St. Bonaventure really, he brings this up. He says that there's like, that is an aspect of this, you know, love of poverty. In so far as you have 
the um, the two modes in life. He says you have um, you have the the mode of possessing and exchanging, and you ha- then you have the mode of 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 actually participating and giving. You know, so he finds those as two exclusive modes that you can be operating by in particular moments with particular people in particular situations. But he says that's not the primary reason that we give give up. Because if you are there, and these again are just all his examples and his um, defense of the mendicants. Um, if you give up that life of exchange, you could just be surrendering yourself to a very easy life, nonetheless. Mm-hmm. You know, if you you wake up in the morning, you pray the office, then you go to the refect- refectory, you eat a nice meal. You never have to worry about a, like an empty plate. Yeah, it's just you have that childlike life yeah. forever. Yeah, and he says that is not becoming of somebody who's truly trying to be a child of God. Right, where it's not a worry of yourself. That is just prolonged ad- <laughs> to to try and change the language to modern life. It's like that is just prolonged adolescence. Mm-hmm. There's nothing really glorious about that. Yeah. And especially, like, in trying to minister to, like, a father, it's just like, I mean, we just think of those people as jokes. I mean, it's hard, very, very hard to take those priests seriously. Yeah. Um, and, and, and actually, Dubé actually brings this up. It's like, that gives you some, like, that actually defeats some of your authenticity in the evangelical message. Um, because it's, you don't have the credibility to really speak of these things. And Bonaventure, so to return to Bonaventure there, he says that it is actually this, this form of dependence, like your soul actually being reformed and recognizing its total dependence daily at every meal that, that we are receiving mm-hmm. a gratuitous gift from a good father at every moment. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and the actual experiencing of it is necessary. It's, it's not simply a... Well, I'm going to just look at all things as coming from an abundant father. It's that you need to actually receive them from fathers. I don't just mean your father. I mean anyone mm-hmm. who has the power, anyone who has the wealth, anyone who has more than you and can give to you. Right. Which is why, you know, for a lot of these uh, orders, they would have designated beggars. Right. And and they still do. Unfortunately, they mechanize it as everything else is mechanized, where instead of it being someone that really takes that disposition of need into the street and asks people to to be father, to mm-hmm. be God unto mm-hmm. this order. Mm-hmm. Now it's, you know, fundraising letters sent at around Christmas time and that sort of thing. Um, but <laughs> endowments coming out. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, actually father trust fund kid. Nice to meet you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, no, there's a, there, you, you, you joke, but there's something, there's something in, in that, right? Because we will see as father, the one who provides. Mm-hmm. And, and so it, when we move our giving and our receiving into mechanical methods. So when we invest all of our priests' um, retirement funds in the market, um, then the market appears as the father, mm-hmm. right? Or rather, it provides a pretty opaque uh, window into that masks the, the abundant father, God our father. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's who human beings are. We're disposed to love from whom we receive. Uh, yeah. That's the structure God entered into. That's why God revealed himself as Father, mm-hmm. so that we could trust him to know that he would give good gifts. Uh, and so when we when we take away all of the obvious signs of that, like really not saving up money, 
really not really having to go ask people like, can I please have this mm-hmm. and hearing the yes <laughs> and that exchange being real as opposed to just, okay, let's hire out our, our company here that does uh, mail mailing campaigns and then they'll do mailers for us and then we'll sort of get the results and, you know, we can write the form letter that looks like it was signed with blessings this Christmas season and we're going to enclose a dime for some reason. Have you ever seen these? Maybe this isn't happening anymore. No, I haven't seen the dime. I always remember every time we would get like the asking letters at the end of the year, there was somebody that would always enclose a nickel or a dime or something and it would like symbolize something about the gift they wanted from you. I forget. Anyways. Wow, interesting. The point is that often what what we advocate for at New Polity is just the replacement of system approaches to personal approaches. And one of the reasons is because we need to know who God is. And God is not a system. God is a person. And so when it comes to being poor, one of the problems people have is the idea of being poor within a system. So what mm-hmm. they mean is there is a market system, there is a welfare system, and I exist as a subject within it. I should get certain things, I should get a job, I should get an income, and I don't, and I'm poor, and I'm frustrated. Mm-hmm. That is not revealing, that, that kind of poverty, mm-hmm. involuntary poverty, isn't revealing of who God is, right? Because if that's how you look at it, the image of God becomes deistic almost, like right. he's, he's sort of an impersonal system that's supposed to provide benefits that sometimes you appeal to and sometimes mm-hmm. doesn't show up. Um, voluntary poverty is the kind that reveals God as person, as wanting to give, but you can't get there without actually the mediation of God's image by other people. I'm just asking for people to beg, really, I suppose. (laughs) You know, I think, um, yeah, I've just always felt that we're very scandalized by beggars. So when we see them, we're scared of them. I mean, there's a lot Mm -hmm. of other reasons too, drugs being a big one. But one of the things is that I think we're a little bit scared of really seeing the face of God. Part of that being seeing how much we all actually rely on gift in order to live. The beggar is the primary example of the fact that the one who's supposed to give is just like him. We rely on gift. We are always begging. We only get because you know, people give to us. So I think we kind of, yeah, I I just think it's a, it's a scary, it's a scary thing to contemplate. Mm -hmm. What the religious orders used to do is be a, an easy example when when they were prolific throughout the world and a a easy example to point to and say, yes, you can rely on God and and not just God in this like individual sense, like he's going to miraculously give you money. Yeah, But God, in the sense of you can build a social order oriented towards God for the fulfillment of real human needs and receive them genuinely through the charity that comes from God as it's enacted in different people. Um, And when we don't have that, when we don't have that clear example of poverty working, as it were, like this is poverty that makes people happy. This is poverty that fits with a kind of life. Yeah. Uh, when we don't have it, it just then it, then the love of it seems absurd. It's like, well, how can I love being destitute and like washed out or something like that? Yeah. It becomes the only reference point we have. And that's sad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And unless like we think that this is just kind of a 
a thing for for the religious we have to realize that they actually are kind of like a lord load star in this yeah. process they're they're kind of the north star leading us along the way and and um lumen gentium actually speaks about this explicit explicitly when they're talking about the evangelical councils and of poverty that that is to demarcate like our path as the laity and and um and in the same move, the Catechism twenty five forty five says that all all Christ's faithful are to direct their affections rightly, lest they be hindered in their pursuit of perfect charity by the use of worldly things and by an adherence to riches, which is contrary to the spirit of evangelical poverty. Yeah, so like this is kind of like a direction that we all ought to tend, and. Um, and that's, yeah, I guess a little bit terrifying. <laughs> well, I mean, so, but it's also yeah. very simple. It's like everything yeah. you have should be yeah. for the sake of others. Yeah. If you are all, at all rich, it should be as a uh, conduit yep. of those riches for the sake of others. Mm-hmm. Um, keep nothing. Yeah. It's actually very simple. It's difficult and confusing what to do with money that you keep. You have to be like, should I invest it? Should I do this? Should I yeah. do that? But if you have as your... As your main idea, keep nothing. Yep. And it's pretty easy, actually. Yeah, and especially since it's, um, we have to keep in mind, like, what is needed so that we have clear in our mind what is excess. Yeah. Sure. It's just like, all right, we got excess. Perfect. What's that for? Yeah. The tradition is pretty clear on that. It's for everyone else. Yeah. You know? <laughs> totally. You know, it reminded me of, uh, and this is, this should be a nice quip, but it's not. It's just something I realized that I've heard from both socialists and capitalists a very similar thing, which kind of shows how the church's call is different, Um, which is that I've heard socialists tell me in discussions about giving away money to the poor, um, I've had them tell me, don't do it. And the reason you shouldn't do it is because you should be teaching the poor that they should be agitating for better conditions, that their poverty is a structural poverty that comes from the injustice of the system of capitalism. And by alleviating that poverty, you just keep capitalism going one more day, one more day. It's just another kind of, you know, band-aid, as it were. So don't give them money. Give them the manifesto. Okay. (laughs) Poverty is the incentive structure. Yeah, 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 exactly. And I'm not kidding. I've heard this many times. Um, And and yeah, you see it a lot, like – on the other side, with capitalist, mm-hmm. this we're more familiar with, but it's the same thing. He says, "No, no, no, don't give that person money. You know, they're they're bums, or or they just need to actually, you know, pull themselves up by their bootstraps, get a job. Everyone yeah. can do it if they really, yeah. you know, put their mind to it. Don't give a man a fish. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. All, all those things. So, yeah. so whether I come as a socialist or as a capitalist, either way, I get to keep my money." Which is yeah. <laughs> And that's how you know that they're both pagan. Yeah, yeah. totally. <laughs> because in both systems, I mean, I think the the socialist is, has a, at least a more moral like end goal. I think, mm-hmm. which is that sees the injustice, wants to rectify it. Which is why we often call socialism a Christian heresy, as opposed to capitalism, which is more purely a pagan. Well, I was gonna say pagan heresy, it's just paganism. Yeah, that's right. Uh, <laughs> but you see in both of these the loss of the person mm-hmm. and the loss of the idea that just social order has to come with our willingness, everyone's willingness, to do without that which they don't need, to give. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and and that is the love of poverty is is not not inventing excuses to hang on to things that in fact you can give mm-hmm. um but it's very tough in this world because this world is structured to um give us a lot more needs than we think or than we really have yeah so we kind of touched on some of this in the like the luxury podcast is yeah. like how many of these things have we technolo- technologies have we yeah. created and welcomed into like the day the day of our life yeah that aren't actual needs you know we talk about air conditioning or hot showers yeah. or stuff like that it's just like we say can you imagine our grandfathers doing without this when really we should be impressed that they actually knew their needs better than us, you know, in in many cases. And also probably just built thicker houses where air conditioning was not as necessary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) No, the the poverty is the answer to luxury. And luxury, as we discussed, is the creation of needs that aren't real needs in order to create new commodities to meet those needs, in order Mm -hmm. to create new um, points of sale and so systems of power and oppression over others yeah but now that we are here <laughs> what do we do with all those commodities yeah. well can i read you something so i, I yeah. don't i don't normally like to sit back and read but uh this is my boy ivan illich and he has a um he has a great book called useful unemployment and its professional enemies and it's the greatest <laughs> book in the world but he has a section called the modernization of poverty Mm-hmm. And it's lengthy, but I think it gives some weight to the distinction that there's something about poverty now that has to be translated when we speak about the Christian tradition generally. Mm-hmm. It's very easy for us to say like, oh, here it is. The saints are praising poverty and living in poverty. And then say, what? how could I possibly praise that here, here and now? And so this gives some idea of the the difference. Okay. I'm going to read the last part first because it has a definition or sort of a historical categorization. In both traditional and modern societies, an important change has occurred in a very short period. He's writing this in the 60s, I think. The means for the satisfaction of needs has been radically altered. The motor has sapped the muscle. Instruction has deadened self-confident curiosity. As a consequence, both needs and wants have acquired a character for which there is no historical precedent. For the first time, needs have become almost exclusively coterminous with commodities. Now, a commodity is something built and sold and then bought, right? So this is his section called The Modernization of Poverty. Beyond a certain threshold, the multiplication of commodities induces impotence the incapacity to grow food, to sing, or to build. The toil and pleasure of the human condition become a faddish privilege restricted to some of the rich. When Kennedy launched the Alliance for Progress, don't know what that is exactly, (laughs) Uh, he refers to a Mexican village, and he says, like most Mexican villages of its size, it had four groups of musicians who played for a drink and served the population of 800. Today, records and radios hooked up to loudspeakers drown out local talent. Occasionally, in an act of nostalgia, a collection is taken up to bring a band of dropouts from the university to sing the old songs for some special holiday. On the day Venezuela legislated the right of each citizen to housing, conceived of as a commodity, three-quarters of all families found that their self-built dwellings were thereby degraded to the status of hovels. Furthermore, and this is the rub, self-building was now prejudiced. No house could be legally started without the submission of an approved architect's plan. The useful refuse and junk of Caracas 
up till then re-employed as excellent building materials, now created a problem of solid waste disposal. The man who produces his own housing is looked down upon as a deviant who refuses to cooperate with the local pressure group for the delivery of mass-produced housing units. Also, innumerable regulations have appeared which brand his ingenuity as illegal or even criminal. This example illustrates how the poor are the first to suffer when a new kind of commodity castrates one of the traditional subsistence crafts. The useful unemployment of the jobless poor is sacrificed to the expansion of the labor market. Housing, as a self-chosen activity, just like any other freedom for useful employment of time off the job, becomes the privilege of some deviant, often the idle rich. An addiction to paralyzing affluence, once it becomes ingrained in a culture, generates modernized poverty. This is a form of disvalue necessarily associated with the proliferation of commodities. Okay, so that's his modern, modernized pro poverty. And the basic idea is that um, what we do now, when we're out there to make a buck, is we go and we create new needs. And then we provide the commodity to fulfill it. So the housing example is always very striking to me. It's like mm -hmm. if you make an actual legal structure that now says, well, you have to build houses this way, three quarters of the houses in Mexico are suddenly illegal, and now you have a market for two-code housing, basically, that Yep, you're providing. Uh, and any history of almost any commodity can has this moment where it replaced a life that didn't need it. So when we're talking about poverty today, we're talking about a modernized poverty, which he describes as an addiction to commodities. But he's not being, I don't think he's being so cynical as just to say, like, well, just give up your commodities. You, you. Quick cold turkey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think what he's saying is is that that there is a part of poverty today that really is oppressive. And so when we advocate a love of poverty, we can't advocate for just a love of being in the oppressed position. Yeah. Like it has to be cut. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, is that masochistic or sadistic? I forget which one's which. Uh, like self-hatred? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Masochistic. Yeah, yeah. masochistic. Yeah. Be because what he's saying is that people have made a killing on creating this new form of poverty. And, and, and they really did change the world. The automobile is the other example he uses, you know. You know, automobiles are a luxury commodity, but when they become mass marketed, advertised, everyone needs one, everyone should have one, eventually the world becomes built in their image. Now, not having a car is not the same as just saying, well, I'm doing without a luxury item, right? It's saying, no, no, I'm really in relation to a world that's been built to be only accessible through the purchase of commodities. I am now I, the world has become inaccessible to me. Mm -hmm. Not only is there a prejudice against me, like I'm I'm looked at as as poor and a dropout and and probably deviant because I'm walking instead of driving. Yep. Um, actually, someone emailed me about this. He told he told me a story of what he was he was walking somewhere along a road and and people would like intentionally veer at him. Whoa! <laughs> and then like jerk back the other way, just out of like this kind of primal anger uh, that they weren't in the car <laughs> um conform or die <laughs> I know, it's scary it's scary world out there for feet people um okay i don't i don't mean to go i don't mean to go too far in it i, I only mean to say that the love of poverty has to be coupled with a dismantling and a rejection of those systems that make commodities necessary totally. they're not necessary absolutely and this is where for all like the um, for all the fun we make of libertarians, 
around here. I guess people don't know that. We make fun of libertarians around here. All the time, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things I think they have right, just as a sort of good old American trait, is the idea that self-reliance um, is necessary. A and we can't simply say, okay, we're going to embrace this poverty. If by it, we mean we're going to, un like, unchanged, our souls don't change, our community communities don't change, we just don't have access to the consumer goods that make the world tick. It's like, no, 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 we have to build a world together in which the thing doesn't run on the basis of a multitude of purchases. The thing doesn't run right. on the basis of 16 different technologies that you have to operate every day in order to not die. Right, and I think this is important. Like, Actually, they're, what's perverted about their praise of self-reliance is actually that it's not supposed to be the person that's self-reliant. Yeah. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. A person that's not self-reliant. I've it's seen a, a baby. Yeah. <laughs> <true. laughs> um, yeah, you're taking care on both ends these days, you know, the older and the younger. You, 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 I thought you meant the mouth and the butt. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, that's also you. true. Yeah. Four ways at that point, I guess. Um, but uh, uh, but it's the city that's supposed to be self-sufficient. Yeah. You know, because that at that point, you actually have... Well, there's many things to be said about it. We'll talk, we'll do a whole episode on, on self-sufficiency of a, a city. But a big thing there is that you actually have a check on what you actually need. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah and, and Ivan Illich, when he goes on to talk about solutions to this problem, does say they have to be political solutions mm -hmm. in the sense that this isn't like lifestyle change. Yeah. That what he thinks, and I think this is quite right, is that a, a community needs to be able to determine for themselves what goods they will use and what goods create this condition of modernized poverty mm -hmm. um, that makes the relative gain by virtue of the technology not worth it. It's like, right. yes, we could have, I don't know, uh, safer houses by implementing this or that technology. Okay. But given then that that's going to raise the cost of housing for everyone, do we gain or do we lose? Right. And, and, the point is that you can't actually make those decisions unless you are a small enough body of people reasoning together about the common good. Right. Or even to maybe just slightly edit what, what you said, it's not just individuals changing their, um, changing their lifestyles. It's actually not that alone. Yeah. yeah you yeah. know, it's, it's not a policy proposal. That's not what he's saying. No, no, no. Political yeah. in the full sense of, uh, like, but, but from each, person yeah. changing their their lifestyle so that this, the the pattern and order of the city really starts to yeah change. but not even That's... not even necessarily i mean i think i think in order to love poverty today mm -hmm. some radical things have to happen and i think sometimes that's going to be decisions made by people reasoning together even when the habits as it were have yet to catch up right so what i mean is like if you're in a town which is, say, very addicted to the automobile. Yeah. And you're trying to create a space where um, people can actually rely on their own feet and therefore not have this $3,000, $4,000 barrier to the entry of the world. Right. Then, in a way, because of the oppressive nature of modernized pro poverty, you're not going to be able to say, well, let's just all start walking a little bit together and maybe you will walk a little, you know, a little every day because the point is until someone says this road is done, it's mm -hmm. no longer for cars, it's for people and we're going to shut it down until that happens. The very 
the very means by which you would develop the habits of non-commodity dependence aren't available to you. Yep. I mean, that's the, that's the condition that we're in. I mean, like there's things that we should be able to take care of ourselves that are illegal to do. Yeah, that's right. I, I yeah. found out in Ohio that you can't, yeah. um, you can't collect and purify rainwater. Let me get this right. For more than 15 people to drink. However, that works <laughs> without approved plans by the oh some state authority I forget. But the the point being like water and soil. <laughs> no, it's not. That's county. Oh, that's um, county, right? The point is not to say like oh like committees are bad or something like that. I mean they have their they absolutely have their place. the The point is to say that the normal means of living close to God which means dependent on God, relying on him, mm-hmm. seeing how, oh, if it doesn't rain, I don't have drink. If it do- the sun doesn't shine, I don't have food. If, yeah. if you don't give, I don't receive. Mm-hmm. Seeing that relation is increasingly illegal. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and it seems like one of the things that sh- should happen is that it should not be illegal. <laughs> we should legalize God. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. <laughs> well, that is kind of, that is this big Old Testament thing, is that like, the economically and politically oppressed. So, like, yep. those are the people who are using their technology to keep push out God as much as they can, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. And, and rendering people poor as a result. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah, when, 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 thinking about like the prophet Isaiah, when he's talking about, when he's talking about the various ways that the poor are oppressed, often he's just talking about the housing market where people are buying up all of the property in the land. Um, and and basically creating a situation of scarcity for mm-hmm. other people, and I don't think it's really changed much from Isaiah's time to ours in, in the yeah. sense that basically what we do is we buy up human capacities and then try to sell them as commodities. It's just yeah. that it has become the very form of modern existence. Like we do not and do not know how to grow food. We go to the grocery. Mm-hmm. So the purchase of commodities has quite literally become the way we live. Right. And we, I mean, it just seems so normal to us, but it, this is extremely abnormal given the entire course of human history. Yeah. Which is not to say that you never traded. It's not to say that you never bought, but it was usually within a community of people that you knew. It wasn't like this mass provisioning of people the way we do it now. I wonder if that's part of the reason why the rich today say that they're poor. How's that? So, I mean, thinking about this in, in a couple of ways. I'm just thinking out loud, but a couple of thoughts. It's a podcast. Yeah, that's what we do. <laughs> the first is that, um, like that, that sense of poverty comes from a, a felt sense of dependence on another. Yeah, you know, and if everything is obtained through someone else that you don't know, you know, buy money. You know, yeah. like you use it using cash to convince them to give it to you. But if it's somebody you don't know then you really kind of feel dependent on an abstraction, like some sort of theoretical, um, uh, transcendent, you know, I guess the market is, you yeah. know, the really the easy way of phrasing this. Um, but you are totally at its mercy. Yeah, yeah. And so you have that overwhelming sense of poverty. Uh, and then kind of coupled with that, um, if you don't think that what you have is, if you don't really know what you need, if you never know when enough is enough, you really not map yeah. that out, then you're going to feel like every single dollar is always being used up for something or for some impending totally. scarcity. We don't know how yeah. to name our superfluity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so we read the church fathers and yeah. they say, if you have a drop, a speckle, 
Yeah. Of superfluity. 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 <laughs> I don't know how to say that word. Excess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're going Latin? No. X is... Super is Latin. Super. Oh, they're both. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Rats. Um, if you... If you know what that is it's a sign of living in a pretty healthy culture because it means well i know what i'm for yeah i know who belongs to me i know who i owe my time and my power mm-hmm. and i know that i'm giving to them mm-hmm. because when i do i have this much left over mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. means i can name this as excess mm-hmm. and then go do what's to be done with excess for the salvation of my soul right boom easy peasy takes like 10 minutes on a wednesday bada bing bada boom but then you're in a capitalist society or let's just say a greedy society where you've got a sense that any dollar could be invested in the market to make more dollars mm-hmm. and that it represents a sort of potential power that could be spent on anything that whether you're saving up against incoming disaster you know or you're just thinking of money as as power as the more i have the, the more capable i am and isn't it good and right for me to be more capable seeing that i have all of these children and i don't know whatever you have pets (laughs) (laughs) so yeah you're right it it just becomes like a an inability to name excess as excess Mm -hmm. um and i think it was um i think i showed you the uh, pascal's uh oh i i read that with much enjoyment yeah. yeah. His letter against the Jesuits. Yeah. <laughs> well, again, something the Jesuits said. Yeah. Well, the whole thing was like a long tirade yeah. in multiple letters written against the Jesuits. And I will one say, of them despite, said, given the historical nature of Pascal versus the Jesuits, like I should be on the Jesuits' side. Yeah. They were the Catholics. He was Catholic, I think, but he was definitely flirting with heretical ideas, or at least that's how it's been presented to me. I don't know. This is the extent of what I've read by Pascal, so. But, man, the Jesuits don't come off good. (laughs) (laughs) It's pretty embarrassing. Yeah, so this is, I mean, their argument, so he says, and he cites them at length, and he's writing to other Jesuits Mm -hmm. to prove that their father was wrong. Yeah. Was that, um, so long as you are using your superfluity for the development of your family, trying to increase your state, then it's not actually superfluity. Yeah, if you're bettering yourself. Yeah, those are necessities. And therefore, the whole Catholic command to give out of your excess, to give all of your excess away, is still implied. It's just that there is none. (laughs) It just never happens. And and he just kind of yells at them for a while and says, this is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. What idiots. I can't believe we have such morons in existence today. (laughs) Haven't you ever read your father, St. Augustine? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so then he cites Augustine saying um, that the primal base of all this is is into our desires, fighting off the, the vice of luxury, yeah. fighting off your desire to to dominate, to get ahead, yeah. uh, to, to keep up with, with the neighbors. And, uh, and from there, you will find your excess. Totally, yeah. totally. Mm-hmm. Just just narrow your life down to what's good, and mm-hmm. then the rest give it away. I mean, it's so yeah. freeing. I don't think people appreciate that people aren't joking or talking about some kind of spiritual freedom in the sense of like an airy kind of detachment when they talk about the call to loving poverty, making them feel free. Yeah. They really do feel free because they know what to do with anything they get. Yeah. Whereas most people's anxiety is over the things they have or the things they want because they don't actually know what to do with them. Yep. 
And so that's where anxiety comes from. It comes from the unknown. So what's going to happen in the future? What am I going to do with the money I have? What's the yeah. best thing for me to do with this money? How am I going to make sure I make more um, and not be in a bad situation later? I mean, these things sound like prudence, but they often just indicate the anxious scrabbling over not knowing what you're for. Mm-hmm. But what's great about the love of poverty is it says, yeah, know what you're for and then everything else give to the poor. Yeah. Boom. Easy smeezy. Yeah. And St. James actually brings this up and he says, like, you have dishonored the poor man, you know? And I mean, he, in, and instead, um, he says, is it not the rich that oppress you? Is that even our kind of desires from the outside our, or excuse me, our, our, our understanding from the outside of the rich and the poor are perverted. So won't that then imply some sort of perversion in the way that I'm trying to, in the state that I'm trying to achieve? I mean, the, no, you track in, does that make sense? Saying. Okay, so... I'm nodding, but I'm not there. <laughs> so when St. James says... He says you that, honor the rich instead of the poor, right? Yeah, he says you dishonor the poor. Yeah, yeah. Meanwhile, like, do you not realize it's the rich that oppress you? You know, which is maybe all too obvious today, but if 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 still we kind of have that disdain for the poor yeah. and that praise of the rich, that's just kind of a natural impetus, like it, or inclination, excuse me, in yeah. our hearts yeah. before we like catch ourselves on it. Then if we from the outside are judging rich and poor in that way, yeah. won't we judge our own state with the kind of those same lenses, yeah. you know, yeah. forgetting all the while that God has cast down the mighty from their thrones and yeah. lifts up the lowly, you know? Yeah, and even that that desire to praise the rich, I think, stems from what's really good in us, that it's not, it doesn't have to be this fawning, flattering thing. And I've always found it kind of distasteful when, like, the socialist types tend to deny this admiration of wealth as if it wasn't real, as if it's just this pure, like, brown-nosing sort of event. Um, because it is true that when people have very much, when they have an obvious power, then our expectation is that they will be good and they will be divine. Right. Um, and so it's the, there is a bitter resentment that comes when you see that they don't actually image God or if they're not. But I think that you can see this in people that we're disposed to look on any store of wealth as like about to be dispersed. <laughs> and I think that that's good. I think people should respond to that more. Yeah, I hope that's what it is. I think it's oftentimes being impressed, or at least what I see in myself is I'm really impressed with their ability to figure out how to get money. Well, that's true. There's something Gnostic about it too. Like you yeah. have the secret ways. Yeah, exactly. It's like, what do they do? And what they are you a, they, They're like, read my book. Yeah. <laughs> And actually, that is one of the the ways. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Yeah, I think, you know, these are kind of simple things, but it is, I think, within our first stance of considering anything with money within the tradition, we really got to just take on, head on, this praise of poverty. But haven't you just loved poverty, like, simply? I don't mean, because sometimes you can talk about this as if it's sort of like something that you have to develop the sanctity of St. Francis before you'll even get an inkling of what it is because it sounds so paradoxical. But haven't you just done something with you and your body and the breakfast that you ate that morning and produced something 
and and then you feel proud of yourself like mm. building something with very few like inputs or running a race and winning which doesn't require what I, what i mean is mm. we all know that it feels good to do something purely with the gifts that god has given us in an immediate and unmediated fashion that means the same thing yeah. an unmediated fashion right we know that's great we love it we we brag about it right like i did this with just my hands right. say that right yeah. Or like, uh, I grew all this myself. Yeah. Or and I'm not talking about the self reliance of it. Like that's that can become prideful and arrogant and all that. I get that. But what I mean is a love for poverty, it, taken in this fashion, means a love for that intimacy and that immediacy between man and God. And it doesn't seem to me that it's that far out of reach. It seems like it's present wherever we're admiring like uh, ingenuity. Yeah. It seems like it's present whenever we're admiring the kind of sense of strength and mm-hmm. health mm-hmm. where you see someone making do with what they have. Mm-hmm. It's in our love, no matter how far we get into this technological dystopia, it's in our love for craft things. It's not just that we love the skill. It's not just that we love um, the kind of lost age that mm-hmm. they represent. It's also that we love the idea that man is capable of great things, not through... A massive system, which can be a great thing, but not simply through systems, but also through that intimate communion he has with God through yeah. the gifts he's been given. Yeah, and I don't think you have to stretch far to imagine a love of poverty becoming part of what would define a Christian community. Which is that? How do we know it's there? Well, the people in that community really praise things that result um, fr- from the use of the world as it's given. Yeah. Uh, and you, as a child growing up in that kind of community, you're not praised because you have the newest Xbox. You're praised because you figured out how to dig a fire pit on your own. And now <laughs> yeah. you're having people over for a bonfire. Like, I don't think it has to be this love. Of, I mean, sorry, there's a lot to say about this. Yeah, I no, I think to... <laughs> no, I think I think that's that's right. The poverty is actually a positive quality. Yeah. Is really what, what it I'm comes saying. down to. Yeah. yeah. And I'm not saying that like, so it's some mistake when you read these crazy stories of saints who are there like, or I, I mean, I won't use a too graphic one, but like, you know, Francis. Like sleeping to, on the snow or something like Sleeping that. on the snow or, or hugging the leper or, you know, mm-hmm. that is to say the deliberate bringing on of a cross, the deliberate taking yeah. on of suffering and lack. Mm-hmm. In, um, and that I think is a perfection like uh, council of perfection in the sense of it, it's it's not always what's asked for us in any given situation, but it obviously is a sign of God's abundant taking care of us in the world, that there's people that will just throw themselves onto suffering willingly just to show that God gives. Um, but we shouldn't see that as somehow separate from the kind of just praise of, of um, how the human person is capable you see what I'm saying? Like there's like a, it, it's on the one hand, you have an extreme taking on of suffering mm-hmm. that we often associate with the love of poverty. Mm-hmm. But sometimes that image is so strong that we forget that it is the same thing as the meeting of suffering and need and lack in this life through toil and through communal, you know, tackling of different, yeah. different projects. It's the same qualitative thing. It's yeah. just a different place on the spectrum that's what i'm trying to say yeah Yeah. and and not to diminish either it's just to say i think if people recognized that they would have a uh, maybe an easier time loving poverty sweet
Yeah, I think that's true. Find this is, is a chance and an opportunity. Well, yeah. one of the things we, we, we yeah. would do at Advent is we'd give people challenges with an Advent calendar. Um, and so, uh, I realize now looking back on it, a lot of those like things... Like we knew Paul Eddie do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Christian tradition gives you an Advent calendar. <laughs> well, I guess it kind of does. Um, yeah, look out for the, for the new Paul Eddie Advent calendar. It's pretty I, sweet. I realize one of the things we we're doing is just different things that allowed people that chance of loving poverty as a good, like, well, walk to work or something. Yeah. On the one hand, you could describe it in this purely sacrificial term, like take on the suffering, hate every moment of it. <laughs> and there can be like a gain there, I suppose, just in the pure penitential sense of it. Mm-hmm. But that's not, I think, what we're going for. It's like no in walking and you're not relying on a luxury commodity that in your very poverty as a human being, God's got you yeah. because he's rich. Mm-hmm. Um and I think when we realize that what poverty describes is the state of realization of what's true of every human person, that they need God for every breath they take, mm-hmm. then it becomes something accessible to all at a definite, like you said, a definite spectrum, right? We're not all going to be monks. We're not all going to be nuns. And even the ones who are monks and nuns are not all going to be that monk. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, who is awesome. <laughs> but when we look at that monk, we should say, I'm inspired by you. In order to be like you, I'm going to do this in my state of life. So go figure out what that is. Yeah, man. Don't modernize your poverty. Love it. Yeah. (laughs) Hey. That's pretty good. Almost a t-shirt. That's the next t-shirt. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. We'll work some alliteration into there. (laughs) All right, everybody. All right. We'll catch you next time. Till the next catchphrase.